a cross with Easter lilies, and there'll be Easter lilies added for certain increments as we reach our goal of $18,000 for North American missions. Now, we have a video to introduce to you to help you understand how the North American mission start, uh, offering began and a little bit more about the Annie Armstrong offering. Wherever she heard a need on the mission field, I think she went there to get first-hand knowledge of that situation and then came home and tried to rally people to meet that situation. In the 1880s, Annie Armstrong was plotting new courses for home missions in America. From the time she became a Christian at age 20, Annie worked to see the good news of Jesus Christ carried everywhere. In her world, she didn't have to look hard to find chances to be an on-mission Christian. The directions that she took Southern Baptist women more than 100 years ago can still be felt today. It was here in Annie's hometown of Baltimore that she first saw the needs that would drive her avid interest in missions. Baltimore is a port city. Here she saw the immigrants fresh off the boats. For the rest of her life, her local missions included ministry to those immigrant women and children. But Annie's vision did not stop in Baltimore. She traveled extensively in the southeast and journeyed into the west visiting churches and missions, seeing firsthand the needs across our nation. Annie was a prolific letter writer, and when she returned from her trips, she would plead with Isaac Tishner, executive secretary of the Home Mission Board, to act on mission needs in America. Each day, Annie reminded Tishner that there were new opportunities and new frontiers of mission involvement. The missionaries there are in vital need of some more missionary boxes. We must send them immediately. If we do not greet all of the people coming from the East Coast with the gospel, they will be greeted by those who own the saloons. Utah Place Baptist Church was home to much of Annie's work and ministry over the years. Her biographers believe one of the reasons she enjoyed this church so much is because it involved women in ministry from the very beginning. We have a great and mighty task before us, the task of winning this world to King Emmanuel. Through the encouragement of denominational leaders, Annie organized women and helped establish an auxiliary organization to the Southern Baptist Convention in 1888, the Women's Missionary Union. She rallied with Southern Baptist women for missions to immigrants, African Americans, and Native Americans. Her heartfelt work, along with Tishner's leadership, created change. At the turn of the century, the board appointed its first secretary in charge of African American work. We must go forward. Let us pray together. Under Annie Armstrong's leadership, Southern Baptist women became a powerful force and a major supporter of home missions. The WMU established a week of prayer and self-denial, which is now our week of prayer for North American missions. And they named the special offering for North American missions the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. When Annie Armstrong died in 1938, her pastor called her a woman of great faith, a dreamer in action. Could Annie ever have imagined the impact her offering would have on the United States and now Canada in bringing the lost to Christ? It's hard to believe she could have, and yet on May 24, 1900, she told a group of Southern Baptist women, 
I believe we have left a century of small things and are on the outlook for larger things, ways to work we never dreamed of in the past. So maybe she did. and mighty task before us and we should be doing it with great with gladness we have a hymn that we're going to sing about that right now I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing serve the Lord with gladness Shall we bow? Father, as we come into your house today, we pray that all that happens here, all that transpires, won't just be superficial piety, but will infiltrate our hearts and our souls and our minds and speak to us and change us so when we leave here, we'll be different than when we came in. Draw us closer unto thee. Speak to us of your love and mercy and sacrifice. And help us, Lord, to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
Good morning. You know, one of the things I'm excited about uh, living in Tifton, Georgia, is because it's close to, to my roots. And when I see that video that we just saw about Danny Armstrong, and you think, our roots as a, as a body of believers is missions. And I was talking to a pastor, you do, many of you may not realize this, but one of the first church buildings First Baptist built was burned down by people who didn't want a church in town here. So First Baptist came to town, so to speak, as a mission. And uh, so we are people who are always going forward on mission into uh, challenging places. And we know the United States is a challenging place to share the gospel, isn't it? Amen? Amen. So we want to take on that challenge in prayer, this week of prayer, and then as the Lord lays on our hearts, hearts to give. It's my joy to welcome you to this time of worship this morning. Uh, generally, whenever we gather to worship as the family of God, we have some guests and visitors with us, and, and I trust that this morning is, is not an exception. If you're a guest here this morning, we especially want you to feel relaxed and, and comfortable in our midst and hope you'll just enter into the worship service like you've been here all your life. We really would like you to feel that comfortable here. Our ushers are coming forward. Uh, we have a tradition here at First Baptist. In a moment, we're all going to stand to greet one another, and we ask our guests to remain seated for just a moment so that our ushers can find you and give you a, a packet of information about our church. Inside, there's a little sheet we'd like for you to fill out and drop that in the offering plate a little later on when we pass the plate for offering. If you'll do that for us, we'll really appreciate that. So members, would you stand now? Guess, guests remain seated, and let's greet everyone, especially our guests, okay? Main, and I'm a youth here at First Baptist Church of Tipton, Georgia, and I would like to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll open up your heart to what God is trying to tell you through the worship and the sermon. If you have anything you need prayer for, or you'd like to make a confession of faith, or you're just curious about the whole faith thing, don't be afraid to call us. We have counselors standing by. Our number is 229-382-6063. Or if you're just interested about our church and what's going on, the website is fbctifton.org. Now, I hope you enjoy the rest of the service. Thanks for joining us. Boys and girls, how are you this morning? Good. It's good to see all of you here at God's house, and we're here to worship Him on the Sabbath. And boy, it rained yesterday, didn't it? 
and Friday, and we've had, it seems like we prayed for rain, and it's rained almost every weekend since then. And God just continues to, to bless us and pour out his, his good water upon our earth. It's so dry, and we needed it so badly, and he knew that. And he always gives us what we need when we need it most. Miss Emma Cargill had the Happy Club bag, but she's out of town today. But she left it so that we could see what's inside, and I have no idea. Oh, what is this? A snow globe. And it's a, looks like a little baby teddy bear with a bottle. Can you see the bear? It's a baby bear. A baby bear with a bottle. He's drinking milk, that's right. That's what babies drink when they're thirsty. They drink milk, that's right. So this is a snow globe, and I wonder why Emma brought this. Maybe, you know, she has a little sister named Ella, doesn't she? So I wonder if, like, when Ella was a baby, if she helped feed her or anything like that. She's just a couple years older. But you know what, boys and girls, what, what this reminds me of, I guess, is when we come to church and when we become Christians, we're like babies. The Bible says, we, I know it sounds funny, but that's what the Bible says. It says we start off like babies and we start drinking milk like babies do. But as we grow up, you know, you start eating, remember you start eating baby food and then solid food and, and different kinds of food as you grow up. That's the same thing it is in the Bible. We start off as baby Christians on milk and then we, and that means just very simple things from the Bible. And then we, we graduate and we grow and we develop. But we don't want to drink milk. You don't want somebody to, you know, sit there with a bottle and drink milk when they're 50 years old, do you? No, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? That'd be silly. But we don't want Christians to be that way either. If they've been Christians a long time, we don't want them to drink milk anymore. We want them to grow up and, and eat the solid food of the Scripture. So that's why we're growing, we're changing, not only as you grow up, but as Christians, we're growing and changing too every day. And we want to be more like Jesus every day. And we want to eat the solid food, the meat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to teach. And so we're glad you're here today so you can hear the good news of Jesus and respond to it. And as you grow up and learn about Jesus, you can learn and, and eat different kinds of food and, and let that take root in your heart and change you. So let's thank God for providing us with the food we need wherever we are. You pray with me. Dear God, thank you for the milk that gets us started. And help us to grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I want to find out from Miss Emma why she sent this snow globe and why it's so important to her. But I bet she loves babies. It, it will remind her when she was a baby. It reminds her when she was a baby, too. That's right. And she probably has a soft place in her heart for babies. All right. It's a, it's a boy's turn. Who should we give it to, Missy? Where's Andrew? Will you take the bag and bring something special back next week? All right. Boys and girls, if you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Vivian. And since Disciple Now is in the chapel, they're going to meet in a different room, 212, which is right up behind us. If you go to find your children, you'll probably be able to hear them.
you know, I never know where God is going to teach me during a week's time, um, nor what he's going to teach me. And at the strangest point this week, I was talking to my mother, just thinking I was just going through, you know, finding how her day was, when God stepped not just on my toes, but um, all over my heartstrings. I was blessed, and I realized I've been blessed my whole life, and I have this abundant life in Jesus Christ, not by chance. It's because I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a Christian home where my parents just didn't talk about Jesus or take me to church, but they lived it, and, and Annie Armstrong was important. And, you know, um, I can't help but think this week when I was talking to her, she said, Susan, I'm so concerned. There are two young men that are under the wrapping the duck work. And they're young. She said they may be 18 or 19 years old. I think they're students at Francis Mary University where I used to teach. She said, I asked them, because my mother, I realized then why I'm like I am. She asked them where they went to church, and they told her they didn't. So she said, well, where did your family go to church? And they told her their family didn't. And then she said, well, where did your grandparents go to church? She was doing her homework. And she became so overcome with the need to share Christ with them and how to share it. And she shared that with me. And I thought, what a mighty God we serve, that he paid it all so much. He paid it all. That you and I have that inheritance, and we have to tell others. It is not a choice. It is a commandment. The last thing he said on this earth was to go and tell and live it. And I fail, but I am okay because he paid it all on that cross. Jesus Christ. 
set the Lord always before me. You know, such a joyous thing to do, to worship our God. And when we come to this place together, to hear his word, to proclaim him, that's what we're doing. We're setting him before us. We're going to hear Micah 6, 8 in just a few minutes. That's been one of my life verses for a long time. And you'll hear exactly what the Lord requires of you but is to keep him always before you. Will you please stand as we sing, Be Thou My Vision. Shall we pray? Father, I suppose you entrust us with wealth as part of a test to see how much we trust you. 
how much we will honor you, how much we are willing to return what already belongs to you. You ask for only a tenth, but that's the tithe. Help us not only give a tithe, but in addition an offering, pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, realizing that it doesn't save us, but it's because you have saved us and given us a glad heart that we want to give. So let our giving reflect our love and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Yeah. Hey.
Thank you, choir. You know, I love scripture that is set to music. And I was just looking at Psalm 62, on which this anthem was taken. And um, the Psalms were Israel's hymnal. And I can't help but wonder what tune they sang it to. What tune did the early church sing these psalms when they met to worship? It was beautiful this morning. Thank you, choir. We are cruising through the Bible, and we're in the book of Micah today, and there's several passages in the book of Micah, only seven chapters long, but could have um, been material for a sermon, but the most familiar passage is in Micah 6, 6 through 8. The sermon is entitled, What Should Happen at Church? There's a brief outline in your worship bulletin, because I believe there's some things that should happen when you come to church. And some things that should not happen. So we'll try to clarify the difference between them. Micah 6, 6 through 8. Micah, like the other prophets, is railing against the indifference of Israel to the needs of those around them. Like so many other Old Testament prophets, they come in and worship on the Sabbath, which began on Friday evening. They did everything right. In, in worship, but then they went right out and turned around and treated their fellow man with contempt. They treated those who were vulnerable with injustice, and uh, they were cruel in their dealings with one another. And Micah is very plain spoken, and he just comes out and says, If that's how you're going to treat people during the week, then no offering will suffice. To please God. There's nothing you can do that will make God happy with you if it doesn't change who you are and how you live. Micah 6, 6 through 8 says this, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? In other words, if I just give God more and more and more, will he be happy with me? What about if I give him my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, shall I sacrifice my firstborn son to please God? Here's the answer. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What? But to do justice... And to love mercy or kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's a real simple presentation that all God requires. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather here, Let what we say and do not just be perfunctory motions where we please ourselves and assume we're satisfying you. But let what we say and do here be a result of a relationship we have with you that has already begun to transform us from the inside out. And it has implications in every area of life. 
in how we do our business and how we treat our family and how we talk to our neighbors and how we go about doing our taxes, doing our schoolwork. Father, let it have bearing in every area and make us accountable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ran across some uh, safety tips for you recently just to encourage you who are in church this morning. I pass them along because I care about you and I want you to be protected. First of all, don't ride in automobiles. They cause 20% of all fatal accidents. And with the price of gas, where can you afford to go anyway? Secondly, don't travel by air, water, or rail. 16% of all fatal accidents are the result of one of those modes of transportation. Do not stay at home. 17% of all accidents happen at home. Don't walk on streets. 17% of accidents happen to pedestrians. But the good news is only 0.001% of all fatal accidents, that's about 1 in 100,000, occur in church. So obviously church is the safest place for you to be. And I distinctly remember about 10 or 12 years ago, you do too, a lady had a heart attack in church. And we had so many EMTs and physicians here, they resuscitated her and got her to the hospital and she was back home in a few days. So if you feel a heart attack coming on, I would suggest you come to church and be well taken care of physically. And if things don't go well, spiritually as well. So what I'm saying is church may be safe and that's good, but that can be bad too. Because I don't want you to feel safe necessarily when you come to church. I want you to be challenged. I want you to be stretched and probed and pushed. I want things to happen to you that force you to move outside of your comfort zone, outside of your normal circle of activities. I want God's word to get into your heart and and like one of those those exploding bullets that gets in and, and a few seconds after it rests, it explodes. I want God's word to penetrate your heart so much You might not realize immediately all that it's doing until moments later or even hours later when you're home, it sinks in and it explodes in your heart and changes everything about what you do and how you think and what you say. That's what the book of Micah is all about. Micah is trying to push Israel outside of its comfort zone. Micah was a lot like you and I. Micah was a country boy. Isaiah was a city boy. Isaiah and Michael were contemporaries of one another. Isaiah was preaching in the palace to royalty, and he was educated, and he had, he had an, an eloquent vocabulary, very articulate. Micah, on the other hand, was a country boy who saw things in black and white, and he, he was plain spoken. When he saw sin, he called it as he saw it. He did not mince words. He just said, What was what? And he let the chips fall where they may. Micah had a passion for for justice. He had a passion for people treating each other rightly. And he had a passion for holy living. 
And it disgusted him to see people going through all the proper motions in the temple on Friday night and Saturday. But those motions, those offerings, those sacrifices, that worship having absolutely no bearing, no implication in how they lived out their lives the remainder of the week. It disgusted Micah, and in effect, he said, it disgusts God. So Micah is trying to push the people of Israel and and trying to show us as well that what God requires is not more offerings, not more sacrifices, not even our firstborn son. After all, God gave his firstborn son, so we wouldn't have to. He doesn't want more offerings. He just wants yourself. He wants all of you. And when you give him that, then everything else, your worship, your offering, your sacrifice, will be pleasing in his sight. There are some things I think should happen when you come to church. And I've listed them briefly in your bulletin. The first thing is, is I want us to see that we have to love God with our hearts and not just our hands. And what I mean by that is that worship and being a Christian are not the same things. We have a lot of people who come to church who aren't saved. We have a lot of folks who go through the motions on Sunday who have a wonderful outward appearance, but inside are plotting evil against their neighbor, are thinking of ways they can take advantage of the poor, are manipulating situations to their advantage and others' disadvantage. I'm not saying that church attendance is not important, but I don't want you to get the impression that church attendance, without anything else, pleases God, or that church attendance is all that God requires. God asks you to have a clean heart. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Do those things. It's when you think going through the motions at church is all God requires. It's what Micah's talking about. Micah 6, 6 and 7. What shall I come before the Lord with? Shall I just bow down? Shall I give him burnt offerings, yearling calves, which were the prime calves? Verse 7. Thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil. Should I just multiply my offering and assume that in doing so, that God's going to be happy with me? No. Not even your firstborn will please God. Especially your firstborn. If what you're doing on the outside, what you're doing with your hands, isn't reflected by what's happening in your heart. As I said, Isaiah was a contemporary. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 1, 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Going on, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. He goes on, all the offerings that Israel is offering are an abomination. They're displeasing. They disgust God because they aren't giving their hearts to him. You know, you can go through all the proper motions and fool everyone around you. But you can't fool God. 
because he knows what's in your heart. And he knows that if how you behave on Sunday doesn't affect how you behave Monday through Saturday, then that disconnect will prove that what you do on Sunday has no meaning. He can see what's on the inside. That reminded me of a story from my last church. Decatur Bostick, we called him D.R. Bostick, was, uh, he was president of the local power company. Uh, I think it was a SCANA operation, and, and in Marion, South Carolina, it was the power company, and he was a good man and, and chairman of the Benevolence Committee, and many nights and many Saturdays I'd call him with, with a need that had come to my attention, and he and I would meet and go visit with somebody and, and do what we could to help them. He was a good man. Now, one day he was out on Main Street in Marion walking with a predecessor named Ben Allen, Dr. Ben Allen, and uh, they were walking by Decatur Bostick and Preacher Allen, and they saw, um, Bostick told me, a, a, an alcoholic staggering down the street and eventually stumbling and falling in the gutter. And, and Mr. Bostick pointed that out to Preacher Allen and said, look at that. Isn't that a shame how he is living his life and wasting it away with alcohol? And Preacher Allen looked at Dr. Bostick and said, or Dr. Bostick and said, You know, Decatur, his sins I can see. It's your sins I worry about. Nobody knows what we harbor in our hearts but God. And those are the ones we need to be most concerned about because those are the ones coming from our heart that really indicate who we are when no one is watching, when we're not trying to impress someone with our piety, when it's just us and God, that shows who we really are. Micah says we should love God with our hearts. Jesus said with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the point is, if you just love him with your hands, if you're just going through the motions, it's not enough. The second thing we should happen in church is that it should prepare us to face the world. Some people use the church as an escape. They say sanctuary, and in a a certain way, sanctuary is a place of peace and quiet and comfort when we need some place to escape from all the craziness of our surroundings. There are times when we need peace from this crazy world. But don't confuse that by thinking that the church is a place where you can run and hide, where the church is a place where you can run and stick your head in the sand and let the problems of the world pass you by. This is not a museum. This is not a place to escape to. This, I see church as, in many ways, like a service station, at least like service stations used to be, where you come and get your battery charged and get your tanks refueled and maybe get your windshields cleaned and get you back out on the road. We're not a parking lot. We're a service station. We want you out serving. And if you have to come in here weekly, and I hope you do, to get the reservoir refilled, to get the the reserves, the, the resources that can take you back out into the world ready to serve, 
ready to share, ready to give, ready to love, then the church is functioning in the way it should function. The Apostle Paul expresses it a little differently in the first chapter of Romans, I'm sorry, the 12th chapter of Romans, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, if you're staying out in the world so much that you see yourself being subtly conformed to the world, to those around you, let your conscience be quickened so much that you see the need to come into the church. And rather than being conformed in the world, come to the church, come to God's word, come into relationship with God where he can transform you, heart, mind, soul, and body from the inside out. Once he has done his work in you, once he has transformed you, then you can go back out into the world and do your transforming power. Be the light and be the salt. Be the influence that you were meant to be out there in the world. Rather than the world conforming you to it, you be the transforming power from God to the world. So be prepared in the church to face the world. Loving God with your heart. Being prepared to face the world. Thirdly, I want you to learn in church that you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. You don't have to Work harder to deserve his love. You want to know why he loves you? He just loves you because he created you. Because you belong to him. God loves you just because you're you. It doesn't get any easier than that. A lot of people, especially in our American culture, I've been talking about this recently with people, we think that here in America that, that... you know, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and bootstraps and good things come to, to those who work hard and, and the, the American work ethic and everything that happens if you work hard. Well, that works well in the business world, but it doesn't work well in church because it's just the opposite. It's not a work ethic that saves you in here. It's acknowledging the fact that you can't do enough. It's acknowledging the fact that you need God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Humbling yourself and acknowledging your sin and just opening yourself up and saying, God, I'm not good enough. I cannot earn Jesus' death on the cross and his blood that was shed for my sins. Coming to church, being a good person will never save you. And I know that's one of the simplest tenets of the, of the Christian faith, but you'd be surprised how prevalent that belief is in the world. I go often into people's homes and ask, what in your understanding do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And they'll say, go to church and be a good person. Couldn't be any further from the truth. Going to church and being a good person will not save you. What saves you is your acknowledgement of sin, confessing it, repenting, asking Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. The fourth thing that should happen when you come to church is that we should learn to care more deeply for others. When you come to church, you should learn to love like God loves. See 
the needs as God sees them and minister to people the way that Jesus did. Listen to this passage in Matthew 25, verse 35. God, when did we see thee hungry and feed thee or thirsty and give thee water? When did we see thee naked and clothe thee or in prison and visit thee? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So when you come to church, I hope that you cannot go out into the world and remain unconcerned for the needs of others and apathetic and indifferent to the world. The Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion, thank goodness, did a survey and showed that churchgoers more readily came to the aid of those suffering around them than those who did not go to church. A good example of that are the disaster relief teams that have sprung into action in Illinois and Kentucky and and even here in South Georgia where, where tornadoes have touched down recently. The Red Cross often, believe it or not, works in and through Southern Baptist relief efforts because Baptists already have feet on the ground and feeding stations and recovery units ready to be deployed wherever the need is. Because we believe that when we worship God, it should drive us to care more deeply for the needs of others, particularly those who cannot fend for themselves, who cannot care for themselves, who are the most vulnerable around us. Fifthly and finally, when you come to church, I hope that you'll be caught by a vision that changes your life, a passion for God that changes everything about you. You know, we keep trying to force God into our nice, neat, square little box where we can control him and we can lead our lives and still on the side be what we consider a good Christian. But that's not what God is like because God won't stay confined to a box. He keeps bursting out. And when you realize how great and awesome he is, and how deserving he is of our worship, then humility is the only proper response that we can have. And and you might even actually have God sneak up on you and get a hold of you and use you in ways you never dreamed possible. Because you realize in the past how he has been working in your life and preparing you for a certain situation that has, has come before you. The only thing you can do is say, here am I, God. Use me. Let me give you a personal example of that because it wasn't until I got to that point that I really heard God begin speaking. I I was growing in my relationship with God and I was feeling Him calling me into the ministry. I was in college and I I transferred from Georgia Tech to Samford because I, I wanted to be a religion major. My father said, Well, Wayne, religion majors get a discount on their tuition. What do you want to do? You know, if if you say you want to be a preacher, tuition's half price. And I said, well, Dad, I'd love to be able to say that, but I can't say that right now. And he said, well, please let me know as soon as you can. (laughs) So I I was talking to God, and I said, God, whatever you want me to do, you know, I I open myself. I'm willing to be used. I don't know why I said this. I said, I just, God, I just can't see myself being a foreign missionary to China. Please don't send me to China. Please don't make me be a missionary there. You know what happened? God cut off his communication. Actually, I was cutting off my communication with God. Because the minute I put parameters 
on God's will for my life. The minute I told him what I was willing to do and what I was not willing to do, then that was an indication to him that I didn't really trust him. And I didn't really think he loved me enough to have my best interest at heart. After a few months of of silence, I finally came to the point where I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, even if it means being a missionary to China, (laughs) I'm willing. And it was at that point that God said, Wayne, you are so silly. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that won't make you happy. I created you. I love you more than that. I might send you to China soon, but right now I just want you to prepare for the pastorate. But now that you've told me you're willing to do anything, now we can begin working together once again. I'm I'm telling you from personal experience, if you try to limit what God wants to do with you, it will shut down communication because it's an indication that you don't trust him enough and you don't love him enough And you don't believe that he really has your best interests always at heart. And if he sends me to China to be a missionary next year, I'm fine with that. And and maybe Susan will be. Because we will know that that's what God realizes we need at that point in our lives to be happy. Love God with your heart and not just your hands. Come in here to prepare to face the world. Realize that God loves you and accepts you and forgives you and sent Jesus to die on the cross for you just the way you are. There's nothing you can do to earn that or deserve that. Deepen your care and love for others so that when you go out of here and you see someone in need, you can't just pass them by. And finally, I hope in here that you trust God enough to be caught by a vision and to develop a passion that whatever he asks, wherever he leads, whatever he wants of you, you'll be willing to go and do and give because he who created you and sent his son to die for you loves you so much. He is trying to channel you into that area of happiness for your life. Shall we pray? God, forgive us when we say we'll do this and no more. Forgive us when we think coming to church is all that you require. Forgive us for not caring enough for our fellow man and treating them with disrespect. Forgive us for living our lives thinking that we can compartmentalize you to a certain segment and live the way we want to with the rest of it. You are ours, O Lord, and we are yours. We open ourselves up, allowing you to do anything you want to do, 
trusting you to do what's best for us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's all about trust and obey. Trust and obey. The obeying doesn't save you. The obeying is a result of the love that he has given you with which you already have been saved. If you have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and he is now asking you to make that decision public, won't you obey him at that point? Because until you obey him at a certain point, he can't take you to the next point. God, show me what's next. No, you obey what I've already revealed. Obey by joining the church publicly, by rededicating your life, by professing your faith.